0: This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, pro sports have certainly had a challenging year in order to get games completed. The NBA and MLS had their bubbles. Baseball and football are doing games in stadiums with no attendance or very little attendance. One sport that's been growing in interest, especially in the last few years, and has had a presence at the professional level is lacrosse. Once a sport that was focused around cities like Baltimore, Long Island, Philadelphia, and Syracuse is now growing into a national sport and growing at all levels. Paul Rabel, one of the best ever played the game of lacrosse, two-time national champion, four-time All-American at Johns Hopkins University. He's also co-founder and chief strategic officer for the premier lacrosse league, which had to deal with a lot of these issues this year, working their own bubble. But it's a very unique business model to try and achieve success in professional sports. And a pleasure to have him joining us right now. Paul, thanks for your time. Hope you're doing well.
1: I'm doing well. How are you? And thanks for having me
0: thank you so you guys for premier lacrosse uh, league lacrosse uh had uh, had a bubble that you were dealing with this year what was that experience like to get through it all
1: yeah it was, it was a challenging one and and very unique to anything that the sports industry has dealt with over the last hundred years i mean even going back to the uh spanish flu pandemic is uh you know sports shut down temporarily but didn't uh, figure out a short-term or even near-term resolution. Uh, we were the first team sports league in North America to announce the bubble model. And that, in a way, as a you know tertiary sport or niche sports league that's constantly looking to garner, uh, call it non-endemic media exposure, yeah. um, therein light an opportunity as we were able to unveil our process on the Today Show. But for us, the advantage was twofold. One, we're a true single entity, so we make all decisions at the board level and um, our management team and can, uh, can, can be very fast and agile, different than call it a trade association league of the NBA or NFL where they have to get sometimes a supermajority for any new change and then deal with their players' association. And all the thousands of pages of collectively bargained agreements so, uh, so that's part one. Part two is that, as you mentioned, our business model is different. We're actually tour-based. Yeah. So that means in year one, all six of our inaugural teams would land in one destination every weekend and yep. play a game. So there'd be three games, and three teams would be 1-0, three teams would be 0-1. We'd go through the whole regular season playoffs and championship in that manner. Um, so that that model in it itself was already the single-site model that we saw unveil in these bubbles. So we already knew how to operate over the course of a weekend like a NASCAR event or a Final Four in college lacrosse. So we just extended that operational period for a month, and then we overlaid COVID-19 pred- protocol with testing and such. So that was the process behind the scenes. I think given what I had said was the reason why we were able to develop the system faster than the other leagues, and fortunately had zero covid positive tests over our 4 weeks all in and uh, and a successful year over year increase in nbc ratings and ott subscriptions
0: so how has that 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 model worked for you and maybe not necessarily this year because of the impact of covid but but in the prior year as well of the success you're seeing in doing the model that you have uh, where you have all the teams come into one site for a weekend, you do the games, and then you move on to the the next location. And is yeah. that the longer term view of where you think this league will end up going, or is there the chance to to maybe change and go more to you know having a team in 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 Philadelphia, one in Baltimore, one on Long Island, you know, and and starting to do kind of a franchise model?
1: Yeah. It's a great question. It's two-pronged in in the way that I'll answer. I'll start backwards to forwards, though, is that the success of this business could look like, okay, because of our model, which I'll explain why we did it this way, reached critical mass faster than going a traditional home-and-away kind of franchisee, finding individual owners in markets and growing from the ground up, that we think we can reach critical mass in way of audience and interest much faster the way we're doing it. If we do that, then we can make a decision as a company what's best for the business, what's best for our players, what our ownership groups want to do, potentially go and franchise into specific markets. Or we could you know, look at modern trends in media consumption, star players on teams like you're seeing in the modern free agency model, of the NBA, or even what you see in individual sports, as we've modeled off of kind of a NASCAR or golf, tennis where all of your players are in one market and there's seasonality around it. Yeah. So that decision will be one that we're making probably in the next few years as we see this growth due to our bet. So the bet simply was, okay, if you look at traditional sports, starting with baseball, building their, their model based on teams and markets, you need two things. First is you need an audience big enough to support A nationwide presence of call it in our case it would have been half a dozen teams but even launching i think nationwide you need at least 10 to 12 teams to cover the full footprint of the u.s yeah so we looked at it objectively and we're like all right there's six to ten million fans depending on which fan report survey you're, you're reading u.s lacrosse or or the sfia there's two million participants so i don't view that as a sport like basketball soccer baseball or football where we can just you know start pro lacrosse again and reimagine it and have you know be able to fill the seats. Yeah. So there's supply demand curve we looked at. Secondarily is professional sports for the fan is very much in a, a premium experience. So if we had gone the city based model and decided to like rent weekends on a home or rent venues on a on a home and away basis we're not sure that, one, we would have been able to find the right venues for the, for the preferred professional experience, but, two, created a schedule for our network partner in NBC to air games live. So by yeah. going this tour-based model, we could, one, pick the premium venues and markets that we really like that are growing from a lacrosse audience standpoint, and, two, by renting that venue over the weekend, we were wide open for our network partners' available programming windows. So we didn't have to deal with the schedule flux back and forth. You see that even the MLS deals with, and they own the venues, and why it takes so long to get a schedule out is it's based on your network. So we eliminated that uphill battle, and we felt like, you know, 10 out of 10 times launching a league from scratch in this environment, the most important thing is distribution. So let's build it inside out with distribution windows.
0: How much does it help you that, that being able to launch this league right now You're doing so at a time of great expansion of the sport across the U.S. and and not just, you know, at at your level, but at high school and college and youth sports. I mean, lacrosse in the last few years has surged to places like Colorado and Texas and California and Arizona, places that, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it just it just was not a part of the dynamic.
1: Correct. Yeah. I mean, look, the sport still has a long ways to go. We're we're. We're now entering kind of phase two of our cycle and growth where, you know, we had to get the foundation up and the structure operating well. And now we're going to start looking at ways that we can further invest in the community of growing participation, not just domestically, uh, but internationally. So we have 68 countries now that are sanctioned to participate at the international level. Uh, In addition to what you had mentioned in growth, lacrosse has also received provisional recognition back in 2018, from the IOC to be considered as an Olympic sport, and we're down the path of looking at L.A. 2028. So you look at, yes, the momentum of lacrosse, but I will say you mentioned 20 years ago, I think it was about 10 to 15 it was considered the fastest-growing sport, but hadn't gotten, the, the I think, the, the ground game growth that you had mentioned, especially westward yeah. that we've seen over the last 10 years. But if you look at sports across the board and, and just take a lot of Olympic sports that aren't mainstream today, is if they don't have a professional solution to take the game's best at the college level and provide income beyond such that they can influence aspirationally the next generation, um, th- then I think your, your, your sport becomes just kind of a, a bottom-up sport where you have participation right. in the Olympics every four years. So lacrosse could have died out, from my opinion, and just being a participation sport, flatlined like we've seen, uh, and then potentially make a bid for international play. Uh, there was a lot of opportunity at the pro game to then change the bottom-up model to a top-down, like we've seen in the NBA, the NFL, and even more recently with the UFC to MMA.
0: So you're at a point right now where the athletes can be just athletes and play their sport and, and work at their craft and and not have to be at a point where. Uh, you know, they have to have a secondary job to support themselves. I mean, they certainly can if they want to. But, you know, when, when, the, when you know, an athlete it goes professional, the hope is that, that that's all they have to
1: worry about. That's right. And, and the benefit, it, it's kind of like a, a CMO selling their CFO on the investment into product or, or product sure. marketing, yeah. where uh, from my perspective, it's not just having athletes as you know, full-time pro athletes from an optics standpoint, again, that aspirational approach to the young generation, but it's also their ability to invest in themselves. It, you know, in lacrosse and other college you know, kind of uh, gold standard college sports, you see like peak performance in the final four national championship game. But if you look at basketball, if you look at football, baseball, there is this exponential growth that athletes get into their 20s when they're full-time investing in their strength conditioning and their skill development, and the game changes, right? Yeah. Like Kyrie Irving's playing at a level that he didn't touch at Duke, even though he was considered the best player in college basketball. So we, that, that marketing bet, that, that time investment bet, where it doesn't have a direct ROI on a revenue standpoint of the business we think that as we have more athletes playing full time, the game will be played at a much higher level, which will be yeah. more entertaining, more fans, and then more revenue.
0: So, what are the next uh, hurdles to cross for Premier Lacrosse League?
1: Well, there, I mean, there are a bunch. So we're we're continuing to chop wood, uh, uh, you know, at, at the in, kind of the important metrics of pro sports. So year over year viewership increase, year over year sponsorship increase, and sponsorship is not just dollars and cents it's about bringing in non-endemic brands to invest and market the sport Um, year-over-year ticket increase so we got to figure out a path back to some sense of like event normalcy and and that's largely out of our hands with COVID protocol and just our our general global and national approach to that Um, but I think for for us we uh you know, we have two, you know, kind of major macro challenges. One is, uh, as I mentioned, kind of the business and, and continuing to innovate and evolve and disrupt. And then, and then two is the storytelling of the sport, which I think yeah. has been stereotyped over time. It's actually a Native American game, as we sit here talking during Native American Heritage Month in November. Um, and so telling, like, the true origin of the game, education of the sport is important. And education, and not just who plays and, and the history of the sport, but also, for an, I'm a non-Lacrosse fan who's watching the game for the first time, much like hockey in the 90s, is like, what the hell's happening? So, yeah, rule, yeah. rule storytelling is important, too.
0: Paul, great to talk with you. Uh, all the best with the league. I, I enjoyed watching it uh, when I get a chance over the first couple of years, and I look forward to seeing more of it.
1: Thanks, sir. Yeah, appreciate you having me.
0: Thank you. Paul Rabel, who is uh, co-founder and chief strategic officer for Premier Lacrosse League.